Welcome to Mountain Lake. Hopefully you're doing great. Do you realize we get to fall back and gain an hour of sleep next week? You aware of this? Oh man, if not, I just made your day, didn't I? That's right. Well, man, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor here for our Dawson campus, and it is just an incredible season for our church as we move into fall. A lot of great things happening. I'm not going to give you all the announcements, so check out the worship guide you got when you came in. Look at your communication card. Look at all the different things that um, you can be part of. Do you want to celebrate something and then highlight something? First of all, I'm going to put a picture up. We uh, don't just do things in our local community. We most definitely say it all the time that we are a church for our community, but we also want to see lives changed and more life changed around the world. So this is our Albania team. They are just getting back. They went to Albania um, and, and helped teach English, but with the, the true agenda of telling these young adults about Jesus. And this team just recently came back and they reported 205 young adults that they were working with asked Jesus to move into their heart and become their Lord and Savior. 205 young adults because of that team right there. Incredible. So if you're interested in any of our world care trips, man, mark it on your card. We do several throughout the year. Would love to get you the information so you can see more life change happen, not just in our own backyard, but around the world. But we do have plenty of opportunities in our own backyard. So on your communication card, you'll see this coming week, we have two great service volunteer opportunities for Mountain Lake. First one is this coming Thursday, Dawson's Family Night. This is put on by the school. We just help. We provide volunteers. We provide all sorts of help, whatever they need, we said, hey, we are, we have, you have our hands, whatever we can do to help. So if you want to volunteer for that, make sure to sign up on your card. We'll get you information early on this week so you know all the details. And then this coming Saturday is our fall serve day. We do two of these a year, one in the spring, one in the fall. And what we're going to be doing this coming Saturday is we're working with Meals by Grace. And what that means is we are going to be packing about 50 uh, Thanksgiving boxes, Thanksgiving meal boxes. So there's going to be about 50 to 60 pounds of food. We're going to pack into several boxes. You, well, not just me, you are going to do this. And then we are going to take these boxes and we're going to get to be introduced. They're going to introduce us to basically to a family. And so what we need is you to not just help pack a box, but then we are going to personally deliver these food boxes to a fam to each of our families. And so we have close to 50 families that we're going to be delivering to. Um, any age group, any age can help out with this. You'll see both of my kids there this coming Saturday, and we love, love, love what Meals by Grace is doing. So if you want to participate, 9.30 this coming Saturday at the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame, but mark it on your card. I'll send you just a little info and a way for you, are, you to RSVP so we know exactly how many people we're expecting. But we are planning to pack and deliver about 50 meals uh, for 50 families as we approach Thanksgiving. So be part of that. A uh, lot, a lot, a lot of great things happening. But as we wrap up October, we also wrap up our, our series. We've been focusing on the family and specifically how the Ten Commandments are applied and how they work in to our family. And if you've been taking the challenges each week of trying to know, memorize, but also choose the Ten Commandments, it's very difficult. In fact, it may have left you, you're like, I'm so glad there's not 11 to 12 commandments because I don't think I could take any more of these because it's hard work. And until you really dig in, you don't realize exactly how deep the commandments go. We're like, okay, do not murder. I think I can handle that one. But when you start to look at what Jesus says about it, it's like, oh man, I've got more work to do that one in that one than I thought. It's exhausting. It's tiring. You might feel like it's something as simple as a balloon. You might feel like you're just exhausted because you're constantly putting effort and you start to get winded. Week one wasn't too bad. Like, okay, we can do this. We can make God a priority. And then... 
we have to adjust our schedules. That, that, some of you are still like, I don't think I can do that one. And <laughs> Honoring parents, nope. That one took a lot out of us, didn't it? And then we have to watch how we use our emotions and our desires with anger and when the whole adultery situations and it gets to be a lot. It's a lot of work getting your family to a place where you're like, okay, we don't do these perfectly, but remember we can't do perfection, can we? It's not about having the perfect family. It's about having a great family and great families only happen by choice and you have to choose to put the effort into it. You have to choose to to work hard. You have to be willing to have some days where the wind gets knocked out of you. But here's the interesting thing about our families as well as balloons. It takes a lot of work to make it happen, doesn't it? It takes a lot of work to blow them up. It takes a lot of work to get everybody on the same page. And, and once you get your, your family going, it's always a work in progress, but it, it can actually handle quite a bit. And it starts to function the way it's, it's supposed to function. Until we blew up the balloon, put air in the balloon, it didn't function as a balloon. It was just a piece of plastic, a piece of latex. But once you start putting air into it and you put your life into it, all of a sudden a balloon becomes a balloon and your family becomes functioning like a family. And we think we're good. We're like, okay, we've arrived, we're done. But what happens is it doesn't take much to literally blow it up, does it? It takes a lot of work to get it functioning, but it doesn't take much to pop it. Something as small as a needle, and it doesn't do much really. I mean, because this thing can take a good amount of pressure. It can move with the wind. There's not a lot that's going to pop this balloon. But when you take something as small as a needle, all this needle does is it compromises the integrity of the bond of this balloon. That's what a needle does if it's poked. It begins to just put a small wedge, a small hole in the balloon where the pressure can't take it, and it will absolutely pop. You ready, 930 service? That'll wake you up if you weren't already awake. That's what happens to our families. We look at these 10 commandments and we say, I think we're pretty good. But what happens is we begin over time to neglect them. And what happens is just one little poke can send the whole family just over the edge. And we're like, what happened? How did we get to that point? It's so important and it's vital that we don't neglect even the 10 commandments that we think are, well, those aren't, those aren't as big of a deal. We have to make sure that we look at these holistically as the 10, not just the five or six that we think we can handle. So let's go through them. Let's see how we're doing. Let's see if we can know them all. Number one is no other gods. Number two, I know this was about a month ago. Say it again. Do not, and what's the key word? Make, good. Don't make, keyword there, idols. Number three, Don't misuse God's name. Good. God's name. How special, how unique, how meaningful is God's name in our family? That's what that one looks at. Number four. Nice. Keep the Sabbath day holy. And holy means set apart. Good. You've got all these other days to get everything done. There should be one day set apart. Holy set apart. All right. Number five. Honor father and mother, good. We need a whole nother board. Number six, don't murder. That's right. But it wasn't just don't murder. It was watch our emotions, right? Take control of our emotions. Because Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, 
you become in dangerous territory even when you become angry. Number seven that went along with it last week. Good, don't commit adultery. And again, it wasn't just that moment of crossing that line of cheating. It was, well, where are your desires at? What happens even in the place where you're leading up to the line? Take control over your desires as well as your emotions. Now we're gonna do the last three today, eight, nine, and 10. And before we do that, I want you to just pay attention to how these work together. First of all, every single one of these, the 10 commandments as a whole, all deal with our trust of God. We're saying, God, I trust your ways more than I trust my ways. And even though I don't totally understand the full ins and outs on why I have to have these in my life and why my family needs these as an application to their life, I'm gonna trust. But especially these first four, these first four are huge in just trusting God. And they all deal with our relationship with God. God, I'm gonna trust your schedule. I'm gonna trust you and your name that it is unique even when I don't totally understand it. I'm gonna trust you more than anything I can make or control. And God, you are it. You are my top priority. So all of these specifically deal with our trust of God. Then when you start getting into honor your father and mother and the six and seven, don't murder and don't commit adultery, we turn the corner to now we're talking about our relationship with others. People we work with, people we interact with during the week, our family especially. And we turn the corner and it starts being an issue of control. We talked last week, this is because, these happen because of a lack of control. We look at our, our father and our mother in the bigger picture here of honor. We honor the position, not necessarily the person. And so, okay, I've got to have some control. I don't like it. I get emotional. My heart starts tugging in another direction, but we have to have control. So trusting God, but then we also see the level of control that God is telling us to have. Let's look at these last three, and we'll see how they apply, not just to our families, but to our overall lives. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 15. Here's the last three, eight, nine, and 10. Verse 15 says, you must not steal. 16 says, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor, which we would kind of paraphrase that into what's the do not there. Do not lie, that's right. And then verse 17, the 10th commandment, last commandment, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. All right, now we just read them. Let's see if we can do them. You ready? Number eight is don't steal. Number nine. Now I'm gonna put quotes around lie because we're gonna have to unpack that a little bit. And then number 10, don't covet, that's right. Now, if we see these themes of trusting, keeping control, or we break these, the, the commandments five, six, and seven because of a lack of control, the kind of the common denominator here with eight, nine, and 10 deals with contentment or more so a lack of being content, especially in our families. Every single one of these, steal, lie, and covet, they happen, they seep in, they sneak into our life because we say, well, I'm not happy with the way things are. I'm not content with the way things are, so I'm going to do whatever to whoever to get what I want when I want it. Don't steal. Well, I see something I don't have, but I want it, so I don't care about you, so I'm going to take it. That's what stealing would say. I'm going to take something that's not mine for the reason of I want it, and I don't care what it does to you. Do not lie says the exact same thing. Other here, it's not just, it's not just lying because we've been walking through this with, with my oldest son, Connor, he's four. And so we're trying to help him understand the difference between like a lie and a surprise. Well, you didn't tell mommy. I was like, true, but here, this is the lie that we're talking about that, that's, that's hurtful to somebody else. Every single one of these, coveting, desiring some, what somebody else has. Every single one of these deals with our lack of contentment. 
Here's what happens if we allow discontentment to, to sneak into our lives. It's kind of like that needle that pops the balloon. It seems like a no big deal. It's like surely no marriages have, have ended. Divorce hasn't been, been uh, filed because of coveting, right? Surely no one's divorced over coveting. And, and we know we're not supposed to lie, but everybody's got a secret here or there. And, and do not steal. Well, I've never robbed a bank, so I should be good. We think in very extremes with the commandments, but every one of these is rooted in a lack of contentment. And what happens when contentment sneaks into our family, it compromises the integrity of our family. And it may not pop all of a sudden because it's not as public. I mean, don't coveting is an issue of the heart. So we don't necessarily see that lived out like we would a murder per se or adultery. A lot of it deals with the heart, but when discontentment, when a lack of contentment sneaks into our heart, into our lives, and into our family, it compromises the integrity of our family. And whether we see it immediately or whether it's over time, eventually that integrity is compromised and the balloon pops, so to speak. And what happens when the balloon pops in our family is it doesn't necessarily totally destroy the family like some of these other ones might. What it does is it steals and robs our peace. If you were to evaluate your family and if you start to say things like, man, we're just, we're just not clicking. We're on different pages. It's just something seems off. When you start to say things like that and you can't really put your finger on it, you can't point and say, well, he cheated or she lied. And I know it. These become very, very subtle issues of the heart. And we can't quite put our finger on it, but if it's a lack of contentment, it's stealing our peace. It robs us of our peace. And when peace gets taken from your family, the next thing that goes is confidence in your family. That, that solid family unit that you once had is no longer as solid and unified as you once thought. Paul talks about this as he writes to the early church at Philippi. He says this as he gives his own example in regards to contentment. Philippians 4, verse 12 and 13. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. He gives two sides of it. I know what it is to have a lot. I know what it is to not have a lot. But I have learned the secret of being what? Content. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I've learned the secret. Now, a key word there is learned. We've talked about this before. You don't just become a Christian. Jesus, move into my heart and aha, I am content. This is a learned process that in moments and environments and in situations and in circumstances, whatever they are, I have learned to be content. It doesn't just happen. It takes a learning process. And here's the, here's the secret he learned, verse 13. And many of us have probably heard this before. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, it doesn't matter what situation I've been in, what circumstance, whether I have a lot, whether I have a little, it doesn't matter what my family is going through. I have learned the secret to being content. I've learned how to keep these commands. God, I can do all things through him. We get our strength from him so that we can say, you know what? I'm, I'm content because I, I trust. Remember, it goes back, it goes back to trust. I trust that God's gonna take care of me. And every single one of these, it's an issue of, of trust that then leads to a lack of contentment that then leads to just totally robbing and stealing the peace out of our family and then the confidence. And when you're in a family that doesn't have peace and is lacking confidence, that is a very dangerous place to be as a family. You can't trust each other like you used to. Everybody's on edge. 
there's tension and you're not exactly sure what the tension is about. Nobody seems to be clicking or getting along. Everybody's kind of doing their own things. Chances are good that there may be a root in a lack of contentment. Peace comes from contentment and from peace comes confidence. Just like Paul says here, I can do all things. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. There's that confidence. Confidence that comes from peace, knowing that God's got you. That comes from, I'm content in either situation. In the good times and in the bad times, in the times where I have everything I want, in the times where I have nothing, even what I need. I've learned to be content by trusting God and having the peace that he's with me. And then we see confidence in our family. But it doesn't take much to pop that balloon. It doesn't take much to allow discontentment, a lack of contentment to begin to sneak into our families. And that's why we have number eight, number nine, and number 10. Now, as I said, these last three here are tend to be just on the exaggerated side. I didn't rob a bank and, and all these kinds of things. So what I want to do is I want to help you see these last three uh, commandments in a slightly different light, just so it'll help you see not just the, the extreme sides of these, but more of the, the applicable side of these. So the first one here, number eight, do not steal. Like I said, we immediately go to the, I've never robbed a bank. Great. Me neither doesn't mean I've never broken the eighth commandment before. Because stealing is more than just these big exaggerated examples. It's anything that's not ours that we then take. And that can be intentional, but also unintentional. For example, I have up here, I have a jar of marbles. This jar of marbles, it says on the front, 936 weeks. Now, my dad gave me this jar. My dad's a family pastor, so of course he would give me this. What this represents is roughly the amount of weeks we have with our kids from birth until graduation, 936 weeks. So there are 936 marbles in this jar that sits on my desk at home that I see every single day I'm in my office and it says, oh, this week is important because then I'm gonna start dropping weeks. And pretty soon you get to a place, man, those of you that have teenagers, like, man, we don't have a lot of time. Hurry up and teach them everything we possibly can. They have just a couple years left. 936 weeks from birth till graduation, give or take. We have to make the most of every single moment, every single week. And what happens unintentionally and specifically with our kids is we steal their time by not doing what we absolutely could do best for them. We end up taking their time, which you cannot give back, which you cannot replace. We take that time if we don't use it to the best of our ability. If we just take it, take it for granted, that's stealing their time away. Same thing in the workplace. How efficiently do, I, do we work? How honest are we at work? You're getting paid for your work by your employer. The question is, are you making the most of that paycheck? Are you doing what you've said you would do? If not, then unintentionally in many ways, we're stealing from them because, well, they're paying me and I'm not doing everything that I said I would do or to the best of my ability or in an efficient manner. It's very easy to just say, well, I haven't robbed a bank, but all of a sudden, well, how are we dealing with our time? Everything that we've been given technically isn't even ours. It was a gift from God to each and every one of us. The gift of your family, the gift of your job, the gift of your community, the gift of your life, the gift of your time, the gift of your possessions. How well are we stewarding those? How well are we stewarding those? It's not just taking something from a neighbor because we wanted it. A lot of times it's just the selfish side of, well, this is my time. I'm going to do what I want without, with complete disregard to other people around us. How well are we using our time, our resources, our energy even 
we've been having a cool little moment um, with husbands every Sunday, um, starting in the last couple of weeks, and we end here in the next few weeks. We're about halfway through, and it's just been a great husbands group of growing as husbands. And some of the questions that I just posed to these husbands to be better husbands and to be the leaders of their family is, are you just making the most of what you have? So often we just try to change everybody in our family and use what you've already got, and, and God's going to honor that. Use what you have. Everything we have is from God. The question is, how are we managing it? Or are we even stealing from him? Malachi even speaks to this as far as stealing from God. Malachi 3.8 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Which is an honest question. How do we know we're robbing God? And he says at the first part, or the very end of verse eight, in tithes and offerings. And back in those days, that's not just money. Understand that. He's not just saying, well, you didn't, you didn't tithe last Sunday. He's saying the possessions that you have, the crops that you have, the family that you have, that which I have given you, you have not been a good steward of. You're not managing it well. So God's saying that's, that's great that, that you've not done the extreme of this command, but how are you doing here? So here's the flip around. Instead of just giving the, the do nots, what's the do? In Ephesians 4.28, here's the other side of stealing. It says, anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal. Good. But look at the next part. Here's what we are to do. But must work doing something useful with their own hands that, it may, that they may have something to share with those in need. So it's not just do not steal. It's do work hard. It's even that work ethic, not just in the workplace, but in our family. It's work hard. It's doing something useful so that then we can be generous. It's not just don't steal. Are we working hard? Are we using the time, resources, and energy we have to the best of our ability? Are we doing something useful so that we can then be generous and we can share with others? We only have a certain amount of resources. And fill in the blank, whatever you want to call a resource, whether it's time, whether it is money, whether it's possessions, material, you name it, we have a certain amount of that. And the people around us, in many cases, have different amounts of that. How well are we using ours and how well are we respecting other people's? Not wasting their time, not taking what they have been given so that we can have it. See, anytime that we begin to steal, what we're doing is we're saying, what I want is more important than you. And so we take from somebody else, we diminish them so that we can have what we want. How well are we managing our time? I'd encourage you this week. This is a great dinner table conversation with your family. Especially if you have younger kids, they'll get a kick out of this. You'll say, hey, what do we have as a family? And the kids will just go through a whole long list. Well, we have a bed and we have pillows and we have toys and by, they'll just start listening. You write them all down. What do we have as a family? And then the follow-up question is, well, how can we use that to help others? How can we use those to grow as a family instead of constantly what we don't have? There's discontentment. There's a lack of contentment. We can say, well, that's great. We've got all this stuff, man. God's really blessed us. What could we do with it to grow together and also help others? It's not just do not steal. It's work hard. It's be useful and be generous. All right, number eight, don't steal. But obviously it's more than just stealing from a bank or stealing from somebody like a neighbor. Second part here is do not lie. Now I told you I had to put this in quotes. Let me read again what, what the scripture says because it's a little different than just do not lie. Verse 16 out of Exodus 20 says, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now telling the truth, I hope we're on the same page here. Telling the truth is a given in your family. Do you know that you should tell the truth and not lie in your family? Or do I just need to scrap this message and talk about that? <laughs> yes, we know that. That's a given. 
What God is saying specifically here is don't testify falsely against a neighbor. Here's what that means. This is almost in a, a court setting saying don't hurt or hinder somebody else's character or reputation so yours is elevated. That's what he's saying. It is in general, yes, do not lie, but specifically don't lie about someone else. It's not just don't lie, period. It's specifically what made the 10, the top 10, is don't lie about someone else. Don't lie when it hinders or hurts their reputation or their character. And often we, we end up sneaking on that side through what's commonly known, especially in the church world, of gossip. That's what happens. Well, it's not technically a lie. Is it falsely testifying? In other words, have they had a chance to stand up and to give their side? Is it hindering their reputation? Is it hindering their character so that you look better? That's what, that's what God is getting to here in the ninth commandment. It's not just about, oh, don't tell any lies. Obviously, that's true. But specifically, don't say or do anything that would hinder or hurt or diminish the reputation or character of somebody around us. Now, obviously, there's, there's moments where you have to testify something is wrong, but there's a right way to do it. There's a right way to approach somebody. There's a right way to get the truth out. And it doesn't happen behind backs and behind closed doors. It happens, it happens through a conversation. It happens in a way that would be biblical. Look at Matthew 18. Jesus gives a great kind of play-by-play um, -play on what it looks like to deal with conflict. Ephesians 4.29, many of us know this. If not, here's a great family verse for you. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is what? Helpful, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. It's not just a, well, I was just telling the truth. It's, well, is it beneficial? Is it helpful? Is it building each other up or is it tearing someone down so we could look better? Is it diminishing somebody's, somebody else's rep, reputation so that mine might grow? That's what he's getting at here. So it's not just do not lie. It's yes, do protect, do respect the people around us by holding to the truth. Your family will have a reputation of, of one of three things. And I need, I need a volunteer. You're not going to do anything crazy, but preferably like an elementary or middle school boy. Is it right there? Who is it? Riley, come on up, man. Give Riley a hand. <laughs> now, now be nice and gentle with me, Riley. All right. There's three types of families and you could, you could apply this to friends. You could apply this even in the workplace. So the first type of family you may, you may have is what I would call a pull-up family. And in the pull-up family tends to be, this tends to be the mom, right? The mom is constantly saying, be nice. Let me have your hand, right? Be nice. Every, no, talk, talk nice. Don't, don't actually stand up here. I'm going to actually pull you up. So like dead weight as best as you can. You look like you don't think I can do this. I am bigger than you, Riley. He's, he's saying this with a smile. He's, that's sarcasm. So usually it'd be the mom or maybe one of the parents. No, don't talk to your brother that way. Be nice. Remember our church, our church verse this week. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And so we try to pull our entire family up and it's just not going to happen. And it more so, it is absolutely exhausting to try to constantly be the one person or maybe even the two out of your whole family that's constantly trying to pull everybody up and trying to pull everybody up to where you are. That is absolutely exhausting. And it, it, comes, it comes from a good place. 
You're saying, yeah, we want, we want to have a good family. And so I'm going to do everything that I can. And you just are trying everything you can to pull your family up so that we can live out the ninth commandment. But it's exhausting. It's a good heart. It's a good, a good reason. Your, your heart's in the right place. But it's going, to, it's going to get very exhausting for you. And it's not going to work. I'm just letting you know, it's not going to work. Pull-up families are great in, in mind and on paper, but they don't work out week to week. Now, the other kind of a family is a pull-down family. And this is why pull-up families don't work. Riley, take my hand. Now, be nice here. I want you to do your best to get me off this chair. That was a fluke. One more time. Do you think you can do it faster? I'm going to be stronger this time. That was way too easy, Riley. I'm going to ask for like a toddler next service. Good job, Riley. Have a seat, man. Hey, give Riley a hand. Pull-up families ultimately don't work because it's easier to pull people down than it is to pull them up. It happens in every situation. It's one thing to try, man, I've got a good heart. Man, I'm going to make my family not lie, and I'm going to make sure that everybody's respectful and honoring. And then before you know it, you just give up because you can't do it. You cannot sustain. That is a family model that is not sustainable. Great heart, but eventually you will be pulled down and you just give up and it's like that needle hit in the balloon again. Pull up families have a great heart, but they don't work. Pull down families is where you end up. There's a third kind of a family. It's not pull up, it's not pull down, it's pull together. And that's where everybody in the family says, hey, you know what? We're not perfect, but we're gonna, we're gonna own this as a family. And then you have a family that locks arms and does it together, not perfectly. But when you have the conversation, guess what? you can now have a conversation when it doesn't go right. And it's not just this nagging of, come on, you know, you're not supposed to. It's your locked arms and you're like, let's do this. This is our, this is our family. Nothing's gonna break us apart. So I'd encourage you to start thinking through what's the reputation your family has? Are you a pull-up family? Are you a pull-down family? Or are you a pull-together family that honors others, that respects others, that doesn't talk about others in a way that is diminishing, but rather builds them up. And when your whole family is together on this, you're not just keeping the ninth commandment, you are solidifying that confidence, that peace, and that unity in your family. Number eight is do not steal. Number nine is do not lie. Or more importantly, more specifically, don't testify falsely against your neighbor. Last one is do not covet. And I want you to see specifically again, because this is a long list here. It's one of these again where Seems awfully simple, but look exactly what scripture says. Verse 17, you must not covet, and here's the list. You must not covet your neighbor's house. House there could mean the physical house or the intangibles, like the family dynamic, the home. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servants, ox or donkey, or anything else, just in case he missed something, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That's an exhaustive list. I think they've I think God through this last commandment has said, not just don't covet, but let me make sure you understand what I'm referring to. Everything. (laughs) There's not one thing that you should be allowed, that you should be okay coveting. Nothing that is not yours are we to covet. Now, usually when when I'm walking people through this commandment or somebody has a question, the biggest question is, well, I haven't done anything wrong. What's the harm in looking? What's the harm in wishful thinking? You got to watch yourself with wishful thinking. Because that can very quickly lead to a heart that is coveting and is not content anymore. What's wrong, though, with just thinking about it? That word covet literally means to pant after, to have a longing or a desire for. It's not just, oh, that would be cool to have that. 
I mean, this is all of a sudden your heart, your mind, your eyes, your sights are on what you don't have, but somebody else does. And in James, we see the, the fallout of that. Here's what's wrong with just wishful thinking. James 1, 14 and 15. Temptation comes from our own, what? Desires which entices us and drags us away. What a great picture. That's exactly what our desires do. They entice us. Oh, that looks good. Maybe you could have that. You don't be happy with what you have, but oh, that would be nice. And it drags us away. Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The reason God says don't covet is because where it ends up, it leads to death. Not right away. I was just, I was just having wishful day. I was just really checking it out. Maybe one day, got to be careful because those desires will drag us away and lead us down a path where our actions begin to follow our wrong desires that lead us to death. So on the flip side of that, what are we supposed to do? Don't covet, but here's what we are to do. Colossians 3, 2. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on what he has given you and follow that. May your heart, may your desire be focused on Jesus, not all the other stuff you don't have. It comes back to every single time to contentment. Don't covet, but rather set your eyes, your mind, your heart, your desires, your sights on him. And as we do that, then we begin to follow suit and it points us in the right direction. Here's the way to think about coveting. If you're a have been, or if you consider yourself a backpacker, um, in college, I did a lot of backpacking, and really, there's, there's a list of, if you go out into the wilderness, there's a handful of things you should absolutely take, and then some things that are optional if you have room in your pack, but one of the non-negotiables would be a compass, especially if you're in a, an unmarked area, you don't have trailblazers to follow, you need your map and you need your compass, but especially your compass, and here's why. When you pull out your compass, it will tell you no matter what, no matter your elevation, no matter how high you are, no matter how low you are, doesn't matter whether it's day or night, doesn't matter what the weather is, it doesn't matter the conditions, but it will always tell you where your directions are. It will always point north, which is behind me, no matter what. It doesn't matter if I start walking this way, north doesn't change. Doesn't matter my, my personal mindset, north doesn't change. It doesn't matter the environment I walk into, north doesn't change. And what happens when we begin to covet is our desires move us off target and moves us off the path. And all of a sudden we start getting dragged away like James tells us. And we get dragged away and we, without the 10 commandments and without these here, these 10, we have no way of knowing when we start to get dragged away. The Ten Commandments, God's word acts as a compass where we have to take a look and say, whoa, I'm off course. Not really sure how that happened, but I know that I was pointing that way and somehow I've been walking in circles and now I'm in a different direction. And it never changes based on the situation or the circumstance or the environment. No matter what, it doesn't change. The Ten Commandments do that for us. Do that for us. The Ten Commandments keep us pointed in the right direction. No matter our environments or our situations, we always are able to recalibrate and to adjust. If not, if we just, hey, okay, I've heard the Ten Commandments before, they're Old Testament, they don't matter. What happens is we get off, we get off track, and we begin to lead our family down a path that we didn't intend to, and before long, we turn around like, how did we get here? It's as simple as taking a look at God's word and saying, where am I? Where's North? Where's Jesus? And it's my job to then adjust and walk in the direction of him.
Without the Ten Commandments, we have no way of knowing which way we're being pulled because our desires, our heart, and they do a great job of, of hiding what we're really chasing after. God's word doesn't change. The Ten Commandments keep us on path and keep us online. So the simple question, yet the very significant question as we wrap up this series is where's your heart? The Ten Commandments acts as a compass to align our hearts to his. And when we align our hearts to his, then we begin to take these ordinary steps of obedience. Maybe difficult in, in many ways and may have to have some tough conversations, but understand that extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. One step towards him, one step towards him, and God can do miracles. He will do miracles, not just in our lives, but in our family. It's up to you on how you respond. Let me tell you how the Israelites responded. Israelites got these 10 commandments from Moses, and I want you to see the very next verse to see what the Israelites did and how they responded. Verse 18, very next verse. They just got all the 10 commandments. They just got the do not covet. Verse 18, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. So they got these 10 commandments and then they looked at the mountain of God where God was giving Moses the 10 commandments. And after Moses gives them, they're just like, it just looks like a unbelievably scary scene on this mountain. It says they stood at a distance and trembled with fear. Verse 19, they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Look at Moses' response. Verse 20, don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Verse 21, as the people stood at a distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. When we get these 10 commandments, it's, it's overwhelming at times. We're like, man, I've got to do all of these or else. Remember, we're not judged by our faults and our failures. We are judged whether we have Jesus in our heart or not. We're saved by grace, not by anything we do. That's why that's why we say all the time, we stumble in the right direction together. We take those steps towards him. But what's our response gonna be? God is a great God and we have reason to fear him, no doubt. But Moses's response to God moved him closer. When Moses got the 10 commandments, Moses took steps to God. When the Israelites received the 10 commandments, they stood at a distance. The Ten Commandments will do one of those two things for us and in your family as well. Will you and your family embrace the Ten Commandments and take steps closer to God? Or will you look at the Ten Commandments and say, man, that's impossible. There's just no way. Our family's too dysfunctional. It's just, we'll just watch at a distance. I pray, sincerely I pray, that God's word through the Ten Commandments would, like Moses, draw you into his presence. And not be afraid of failing, not being afraid of, of the unknowns, not being afraid of the difficult road ahead. The Israelites stood at a distance. Moses walked towards him. May we and our families embrace God's word, embrace the Ten Commandments, recognizing, no, we're not perfect, but we want to choose to be great, and we're great by following God's word. He makes up for all of our mistakes in ways that he can only do. He gives unlimited and unconditional love and grace. But may we step towards him instead of standing at a distance. If you're somebody that's saying, God, you don't understand, it would have to be a complete miracle 
to fix this broken, dysfunctional family. God is a God of miracles. That if we will align with him and we will make steps towards him, as scary and as unknown as it will be, he is greater than anything else. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. And when he is the center of your family, nothing will pull you apart. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words, your promises. I thank you for what you show us through these commandments that when we hold ourselves and our family up to them, we we definitely don't match up, but that's not the point. The point is you then intercede for us. Just as we read in Romans that nothing can separate us from, from your love because of what you have already done for us. So God, I pray that we would take steps towards you, that we would not just hear the Ten Commandments, that we would just not listen to your word, but we would pull together as a family and that we would lock arms and and move towards you together. Not perfectly, but that we would stumble in the right direction, chasing and pursuing after you. God, I pray that we would just believe in you, believe in what you have done, believe in what you are doing, but more importantly, believe in what you can do, what you can do in our own personal lives and what you can do in the lives of our family. When we feel like we are without hope and broken beyond repair, God, may you whisper through your spirit to our heart of hearts that you are a God that can do miracles. In Jesus' name, amen.